All listeners, prepare for boarding. This is International Lounge. Hello and welcome to International Lounge. This is your captain speaking, Captain Abdu, along with your co-pilot, Max. Howdy do. This is International Lounge, your passport to world culture. We explore everything from world history to music, film, food, and we bring you amazing on-location interviews from our travelers abroad. So sit back, put your tray tables down, because it's going to be a smooth ride. Now, Max, today's destination, the mysterious, beautiful, lost lands <laughs> of Japan. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Can you tell us a little, just some quick, quick facts about Japan? Sure. Japan. Yeah. Uh, capital is Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got 127.3 million people. That's a lot of folks. A lot of residents lot there of Japanese. living on that island. The yeah. Island of Japan. And uh, the characters that make up Japan's name uh, mean sun origin. And it's often mm. called the land of the rising sun. So mysterious. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to enter our first segment of the show entitled A Brief Time of History. So let's let's take it back to ancient Japan. Let's start with the creation myth, okay? Oh, yeah. There's these uh, yep. two male and female deities, Izanagi and Izanami. Uh, they came down to a waterly world from Takamagara, which are the plains <laughs> of high heaven. This is going to be a tricky episode already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna, we have to sort of enunciate, speak slowly. Sure. Uh, now, so they came from the plains of high heaven uh, to create a land, and now droplets from Izanagi's spear solidified into what is now known as Japan. Wow, those are some large droplets. So these are just little drops from just, the spear yep. uh, have created Japan, according to the creation myth. Now, Izanami and Izanagi uh, populate the island with gods, one of which the sun goddess Amaterasu, mm-hmm. whose great-grandson became the first emperor in Japan in 6060 B.C., Always, always these stories lead to the first emperor, king of the place, uh, related sure. to gods. You can't be a first emperor without having some... Uh, some sort of godly ancestry, <laughs> yeah. sure. I it mean, just won't cut it. tends to be convenient, too, when yeah. you're sitting up there on your throne and everybody's like, why is that guy up there? <laughs> sure. And it's like, you know what? Pipe down. <laughs> so, uh, now, but in, uh, in, in reality... Humans were present in Japan at least 200,000 years ago. Hmm. Now, the first verifiable emperor was Sujin. He died around 318. He was likely of the Yamato clan. Okay. Okay. Now, Yamato rulers promoted Buddhism as a way to unify and control the land. Now, here's the weird thing. Here's the thing about Buddhism in Japan. Although Buddhism originated in India... The Japanese regarded it as a Chinese religion, mm. and of the things Chinese they adopted to achieve recognition as a civilized country, mm-hmm. especially by China. Uh, basically, by copying China, Japan hoped it too could become as powerful. Who else? I mean, what who doesn't want to copy China, right? But Those guys got some things going on over there that are pretty sweet. I feel this is the first historical indication of Japanese insecurity mm-hmm. because sort of this <laughs> sure. this uh, sure. this willingness to try to impress China so early on in their history. That is funny. That's I like mean, you know you're, you're like you're 12 years old and you look over and like this other kid is like wearing like. Air Jordans, and you're like, oh man, and you're like, Japan's <laughs> kind of like that kid. Who yeah, wants the Air Jordans, certainly, certainly. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll see this sort of uh, mentality uh, 
as a pervasive uh, thing throughout uh, their oh, culture. So the... we'll 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 uh, we'll dig deeper into this that, oh, that boy, psyche. That is, uh, interesting. Now, uh, now, Max Maximus, can mm-hmm. you tell me? Uh, let's let's flash forward a little mm-hmm. bit, and can you tell me about? Sort of the age of the courtiers, sort of illustrious time. I was hoping you were going to ask me about the age of courtiers. We, well, you know, uh, the first thing you got to know about that is we have this town called Kyoto, mm-hmm. right? Kyoto Protocol. Uh, Ki- yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> so that place became the capital mm-hmm. in 794 AD, mm-hmm. which is something that we need to know. So in Kyoto, over the next few centuries, uh, courtly life reached a pinnacle of refined artistic pursuits and etiquette. Mm. This is captured famously in the novel The Tale of Genji. Ooh. Right, we all heard of that. That was written in 1004, oh, a little while ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if you need an agent at that time to publish a book. You just <laughs> sure. kind of throw it out there. Sure. Uh, maybe ten- self-published. I don't know. Self-published. The first self-published <laughs> book. Uh, there's only ten people who can read at that time anyway, so your audience is kind of small. It showed courtiers indulging in diversions such as guessing flowers by their <laughs> scent. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, guessing. Time flowers. well spent. Yeah. Oh, it's a lily. No. Ah, I'm sure there's. Many of a samurai battle. Execution. <laughs> this. Uh, building extravagant follies and sparing no expense for the latest luxury. So that was widely believed to be the world's first novel. Interesting. Uh, tale of Genji. So while the nobles immersed themselves in courtly pleasures and intrigues, out in the provinces, powerful military mm-hmm. forces were emerging. Uh, now, this is the coolest part. Yeah. One of the coolest parts yeah. that uh, most uh, casual fans of the history of Japan mm-hmm. get excited when they yeah. hear about it. That is the uh, introduction of this wow. thing called the samurai. Of course, of course. Now, I just I just want to take a, a side here. Now, of course, always throughout history, whenever you're in sort of a, uh, a very uh, illustrious court, sniffing flowers sure. and pouring tea, mm-hmm. you have to know that there are bands of warriors at your footsteps. Just... <laughs> because the whole country isn't living like this. Right. You know, when you're just right. fanning yourself... And, With an elaborate uh, yeah. fan, too. <laughs> With an elaborate... And everything is just delicate. Yeah. You have to know there are people, poor people suffering miles away, ready to just ransack Just go nuts, so, right? Just like, be aware of you, that. You're, like, arranging your, your like, uh, grains of rice in, like, a, pe- <laughs> like a pyramid pattern, and, like, there's, like, people outside yeah. that have, like, one grain of rice yeah. per day, yeah. and they're just, like, savoring it, yeah. you know? Yeah, that so, should be a lesson. A lesson to uh, to any any courtiers out there. You find yourself uh, guessing, you're doing the flower guessing game. You know, you might find yourself <laughs> at the wrong end of history. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. So, th- what is it about these samurai that we find so fascinating? Well, if we learn a little bit more about them, maybe we can find out, right? So, right. they're skilled warriors. They're uh, a member of the samurai class, uh, the warrior class, from about the 12th century onwards. Ooh. So, from the 1100s, samurai is derived from a word meaning to serve. Mm. Which is cool. All right, you got served. Yeah, you, you know, that is true. The so, rise of the samurai. <laughs> the, the, the renowned samurai code Bushido is the way of the warrior. That was developed over centuries, but it was not formally codified until the 17th century, which makes it even cooler yep. because before the 1600s, it was probably more secretive. And yeah. Sort of like, well, what is this it, thing? It's sort of interesting. It's by And actually, by that time, the samurai's influence was much less. They actually mm. had a time of peace where mm-hmm. they weren't going out battling as much, and then they finally get around to writing all this stuff down. Right. They're like, uh, man, we've been just kicking <laughs> butt for like 300 <laughs> years. Like, what are we going to write this thing? You know, sometimes you don't, I don't understand. Sometimes yeah. you got to write something down you got a note in your head yeah. you just don't have a chance so, so don't feel bad if you're procrastinating any sort of writing i mean even this the most disciplined of samurai took, took them 300 years to write <laughs> down centuries what are you gonna do this is this is a normal problem that people have sometimes 
Uh, they the samurai who became lordless were known as ronin. Oh, so yeah, so if you're cool. if your word if your that your title derives from serving and mm-hmm. you don't have somebody to serve, that's got that's a contradiction in mm-hmm. terms, right? Mm-hmm. So that's got to be a real problem for oh, you yeah. if you're a samurai. So they were called ronin, uh, wander, wanderers or masterless samurai. Uh, the samurai who fell from grace were generally required to commit seppuku. Oh, this is massive. This is so yeah, big. Is a ritual suicide by disembowelment yep, yep. to show purity of the soul. Not the bowels, because that's not pure. That's <laughs> sure. what you stab with your sword. Sure. Which was believed to reside in the stomach. Interesting. And what's what's amazing is oh what, my I, God. what I've heard is the reason they actually <laughs> had to stab themselves in the gut, mm. it was the samurai had to prove that whatever like their their honor so they couldn't mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. get their heads chopped off jump off a bridge sure. they actually had to die a slow painful death right like like it's like just, suicide wasn't even good enough no like it had to be a slow you painful can't just kill right right yeah it's like they took killing yourself Suffering. and made it even like more badass yeah so yeah, yeah that's not <laughs> enough to just kill yourself you got to really sure. get in there and yeah. like suffer a yes. lot now uh, let's uh, let's enter into the age of the warriors. Okay. Mm. Now uh, Yorimoto uh, did not seek uh, to become a emperor, uh, but was given the title of shogun. Mm. Okay, or generalissimo. Okay, in eleven ninety two. This is our the first shogun. All right, and this you this is nice. basically. The leader of the samurai warriors yeah, right, right. of the of this military uh, structure, but okay. uh, let's just talk about some outside threats. We got the Mongolians always. Sure. When can you ever escape them? Right. They actually tried twice to invade in 1274, and oh, then again persistent. in 1281. On their second attempt, a typhoon destroyed half of the Mongolian vessels. Oh, ouch. All right. This prompted the idea of divine intervention to save Japan uh, with coining of a term, okay? Now, a term uh, meaning divine wind, okay? Oh, do you know what that term is? I think I do. Yeah. Is it kamikaze? It is kamikaze. Oh, yeah. So, interesting. Uh, the word kamikaze, meaning divine wind, came from this event of thwarting the Mongolians by this this luck of a of sure. a typhoon amazing and as sure. you know in history the kamikaze world war Two, and again yeah. you know we we've talked about this suicide wow it's, it's really like, a thing even in war <laughs> even in where the point is to kill other people yeah there you're killing the yourself. japanese just... will not hesitate to just dip into the 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 suicide bucket just, yeah, just to, pull uh, out whatever you got they, they're really the most they, creative suiciders. Yeah. They've take they've really just uh, they've created suicide to be yeah. appropriate for any uh, yeah. aspect you just take of, it. of their lives. They're like consultants yeah. in the area of it. They're they're they've really cultured it. Yeah. Um so yeah, I just wish, you know, they would just maybe take a break from suicide. Take a quick... Maybe in war. In war, sure. there's already people dying. Sure, you're trying to, right. you know, and, and you know, it seems counterproductive. You gotta yeah. let yourself. Yeah. You're trying to win here, guys. Yeah. You know. Now, uh, Max, I want you to uh, tell our audience about um, very interesting, very fascinating mm-hmm. topic. Okay, and that is of the 
Shinobi, mm. otherwise known as the Ninja. Oh, now, yeah. this is, I admit, I am getting all the cool <laughs> stuff right here. Like, I got to talk about the yeah. Samurai, yeah. now I get to talk about the Ninja. I cannot wait to watch that movie that you sent me about Ninja stuff. Sure, that is, of course, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, in which right, they right. Uh, mm. travel back into feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. Introduce and, pizza. Yeah. Well, they're actually, well, the, the, the big culture shock for them was sort of the lack mm. of. Uh, pizza, cheesy mm-hmm. pizza back then, or <laughs> any sort of cowabunga behavior. Right. Uh, and of course, this was in the post-Marco uh, Polo era, so, um, you know, you'd think there would be at least some sort of a, uh, introduction. So, uh, let's, let's let's circle back to the ninja. What, what do we got here? Yeah, so the ninja, otherwise known as the shinobi, uh, was a covert agent in feudal Japanese times who specialized in unorthodox warfare, including espionage, sabotage, infiltration, and assassination. All wow. basically all the cool stuff is mm-hmm. what you're mm-hmm. what you're mm-hmm. thinking here. Mm-hmm. Compared to the samurai who are very upfront and honorable with their tactics, the ninja proved a stark contrast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their covert methods of waging irregular warfare were deemed dishonorable and beneath the samurai mm-hmm. cast. Of course, they're so smug. They would so say that. Smug. Samurai would say that. And of course the samurai is loaded down with all this heavy metal yeah. stuff. Yeah. Of course you're not gonna be you're gonna be clanking around. Yeah. You can't creep. You can't yeah. creep and crawl no. like that. No way. But yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's no there's no seppuku going on with the ninja. No, the ninja they're are not. They're clever. Well, like, you can go seppuku yourself, yeah. you know? Uh, seppuku this is what the ninja says. <laughs> sure. So the ninja were recruited as spies, raiders, arsonists, and terrorists. The samurai were expected to uh, fight properly with the decorum, but the ninja, however, didn't have to adhere to these ritualistic formalities. The ninja were free to work in the shadows and do as they pleased to achieve their results. That's what we're all familiar with is them creeping around in the shadows. Mm-hmm, there, right? mm-hmm. So often they would disguise themselves as priests, street performers, fortune tellers, merchants, ronin, and monks. Yeah, it's cool. Like there would just be like hanging out. Like there was a story about a guy he would just for days on end just mm-hmm. uh, hanging out in a um, dressed as a monk in front mm-hmm. of some you know samurai place monking it up <laughs> right and he would like have these little seeds and he would like mm-hmm. count every time a soldier went in and then he would keep track of who went in and out of this, like, castle, right? Oh, wow. Just so he can assassinate. And he he tried to assassinate this, you know, uh, some, you know, lord, right? right, right, And uh, there was a famous story where this ninja, he he does all these attempts to try to poison him, and he fails. Finally, he, like, sneaks in, and as the lord is sleeping at night, right, he lowers a thread into the cracks of the ceiling and then lets, like, a poison, some sort of viscous molasses-like poison slowly drip down and then try to fall into the mouth of the Lord to kill him. Whoa. It's really crazy. That's crazy. He actually like missed and the guy wakes up. So he has to like (laughs) run away and he's just like running away, like throwing ninja stars behind him. And like, he gets out of there. But uh, I mean, that's like, that's your typical uh, day to day of a ninja. Uh, Yeah. So the, the, the ninja were recruited from the lower class. This is between the 12th and the 15th centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they or rejected samurai, and most of the historical focus was on the upper class and noble samurai during that mm-hmm. time. By the Meiji era, the ninja were famous throughout Japan, with most of the knowledge surrounding them being based on mystery and folklore. Ninja could supposedly turn invisible, control the elements, and walk on water. Uh, despite these many folktales surrounding ninja, legitimate historical accounts are scarce. This is not really a surprise, as they are, in fact, ninja masters of stealth of and secrecy. Of course. So the, the thing is, that you got a ninja... He's secretive. Mm-hmm. He's creeping into lords' castles and doing uh, illicit things. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, you're like, "Oh man, 
that was uh, we heard about this crazy ninja doing this stuff, and the ninja's like, "What ninja? I don't know what yeah, you're exactly. talking about." Next thing you know, the history yeah. books don't know about them. Yeah, they say like a, a good ninja basically, it's like is never seen, never smelled, mm-hmm. and you question whether or not he even existed. So if you're a ninja and you pass gas while you're creeping, yeah, no, you that is. You essentially clear your bowels mm-hmm. at least 12 hours before any sort of creeping. Sure. sure. Now, sure. now, Max, yeah. uh, I want to tell this audience, you, know, you recently were, were in Japan. Yeah. You, you recently just came back right. from, uh, from mm-hmm. an expedition. I did. Um, now, throughout your time there, sort of the the uh, any tales of the ninja were really de-emphasized. I did not encounter a single yeah. ninja, which means they were probably <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, there's probably one here right I now. I was probably followed by like 10 ninjas because yeah, yeah. I didn't see any. Yeah. So that's what's interesting. It's sort of like, it's like two reasons. It's like culturally the Japanese sort of were looking down on the ninja. Mm-hmm. So then they weren't really written about much mm-hmm. as much as the samurai. Mm-hmm. Secondly, of course, that's exactly what a ninja would want. They yeah. don't want anybody to even know they existed. No, so no. no one's writing it down. No. So that's why we really don't hear much about real stories of ninja. Now, I do want to tell you a short story, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an anecdote about Kyoto, which yeah. we talked about sure. briefly. But when I was in Kyoto, there's one of the most uh, famous tourist attractions from Kyoto is this historical palace castle called Nijo Castle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I went there with my buddy Brandon, and we, we walked in. Uh, a bunch of people walking around it's cool as hell it's like this big in the center of this urban city called kyoto there's this castle right Mm -hmm. so you got a moat Mm -hmm. it's about the size of a city block Mm -hmm. big moat stone wall coming up out of the moat you can totally imagine like a ninja climbing up that thing oh yeah standard ninja stuff yeah of course the battlements but they're like japanese battlements with the traditional iconic sloping roofs that you have with the shingles overlaying it's so cool so anyway go in there uh, this is Nijo Castle, if I'm not mistaken, was at one point both the historical seat of the uh, shogun mm-hmm. and also at another time mm-hmm. the historical seat oh, of the yeah. emperor. Oh, yeah. So anyway, the reason I tell this story, besides the fact that it was awesome, anybody who goes to Kyoto should go and check it out, is we when we got into the, the inner sanctum mm-hmm. of Nijo Castle, sure. right? You pass through the grounds, you cross a couple bridges, uh-huh. Uh-huh. whatnot, you nice. get into the central building, which is yeah. this wooden building. Oh, yeah. Everything there is wooden. Uh, and it's basically preserved completely as it was in the 15th, 16th, 17th mm-hmm, centuries, mm-hmm. right? Which is really cool in of itself. So it's the same building. It's not a recreation. You walk around inside, and the floors, which are wooden, made of wooden floorboards, were designed by these master craftsmen mm-hmm. such that when you step on them and you put your weight on the floorboards, mm-hmm. they creak in a way that is very unique. It sounds like a little tiny bird. Whoa. So the, the emperor or the shogun, whoever it was who built this place, had decreed that his master craftsmen do that so that he could hear Ooh. if people were in oh. the building like... A ninja, maybe, oh, man. approaching massive, to assassinate. Massive paranoia was mm-hmm. no stranger to the Shogun. Right, right. Well, but, I mean, justified. I mean, there's, they probably would just hop in the shower and there's three ninja. Just, just waiting. <laughs> just, they're just like, just like flies or bats sure. in your attic. Just, uh, you just got to swat them away. Swat the ninjas. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's just take a break with some awesome on-location interviews. <laughs> Here I am in Seattle uh, with High and Mighty Color, uh, or you guys in Japanese. What is your name in Japanese? Japanese? In Japanese, what is the name of your, your band? 
No, but, but in Japanese, <laughs> isn't it? Japanese? Uh, in Japanese. Japanese. Oh, same. 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 It's yeah. the same. Okay. Okay. No translation. Okay. Uh, okay. Everyone say your name and we'll go around. Okay. Uh, and, and what you are in the band. Makat on bass. Megu on guitar. Sashi on drums. Kazuto on guitar. Yusuke on vocal. Haruka on vocal. Okay. Well, um, Hi Mighty Kalu, they just performed at the SakuraCon. Uh, Anime conference. They came from uh, Japan. Uh, you are from. Where are you from in Japan? Okinawa. 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 Awesome. Okinawa. Excellent. Excellent. It's a lovely island. I hear it's yeah. beautiful there. Yeah. Okay. How did you guys uh, like uh, the conference? What? Uh, how did you like the convention? Did you, did you enjoy Seattle? Did you enjoy playing uh, here on the West Coast? Yes. Sure. Great. Sure. Okay. That's great. Uh, do you plan on coming back uh, to uh, the United States for more shows? Yeah. Oh, I, I hope it. Awesome, awesome. That's great. Um, so you guys are uh, fans of anime? Huh? Yeah. Fans of anime. What's your favorite anime show? Uh, Bleach. Which one? Bleach. 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 Evangelion. Okay. Okay. Gundam. I like uh, Hello Kitty. Is my favorite. <laughs> oh, really? I love it. It's not the anime. So I love it. I have the book bag. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, so that's my favorite. No, I just think it's nice. Uh, I like. I don't. I don't really have it. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Um, uh, any um, anything you guys want to say to your fans in America? I love you. Yeah. All yeah. Right. And we we love you too. Hi, Mighty Color. Okay, can everyone say at the same time? Uh, you're listening to International Lounge. You're listening to International Lounge. Yeah. All right, we're back. Now, Max, I want to move on to the reunification period of Japan, okay? Uh, most famously uh, uh, ushered in by uh, Toyotomo Hideyoshi. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of rule, you know, from 1536 to 98. He was the uh, preeminent daimo, uh, warrior, general, and samurai. Uh, he was uh, described as small with <laughs> simian features. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, not flattering. He was uh, nicknamed uh, Saruchan, which means little monkey. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> uh, I guess that, I mean, if honor and respects were such a major prominent thing, mm -hmm. name calling seemed to not really yeah. be a problem, but okay, okay sure. that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, now, in his later years, he became increasingly paranoid, cruel, uh, he's a megalomaniac. Mm -hmm. uh, he would actually saw in half messengers who gave him bad news. Whoa! Yeah, holy crap! What? I mean, the "Don't kill the messenger" message never made it. No, to him. he did not. Well, he killed the messenger before they even had a chance to relay that. Um, now, nice. Um, now, on uh, on his deathbed, mm -hmm. Hideyoshi entrusted one of his generals, Tokugawa. Iyasu, okay? Mm, famous guy. Yeah, super famous, right? Mm. Was safeguarding the country and the succession of his young son, Hideyori. Mm -hmm. However, Iyasu betrayed that trust, oh, okay? okay? Now, in 1603, the emperor gave the title of Shogun and his base, the once tiny fishing village of Edo, mm -hmm. later renamed, that's right, Tokyo, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. all right? became the center of power and government in Japan. So massive changes are happening, okay? So Tokugawa is the guy at that yep. point. Yep. This is it. This is it and then this ushers in a time of stability. Okay, yeah, yeah, the time of stability. That's that now that we got Tokugawa in there, 
he seems to be uh, at least uh, for the most part keeping things uh, uh, jeezy. So <laughs> the time, it's this time of stability that we have here. The basic strategy was to enforce the status quo and minimize any potential for challenge mm-hmm, uh, to right. the uh, the ruling uh, people there. Society was divided into four main classes. We got the she, that's the samurai, mm-hmm. the no, the farmers, mm-hmm. the co, that's the artisans, and the show, merchants. Mm-hmm. Now you can see if you want to if you want to write yourself a poem based on that, mm-hmm. the rhyming scheme pretty much sells. Sure, maybe you can make a haiku, which also is Japanese. Yeah, sure, of, uh, I don't see that. why not. Right. So then you got your hidden Christians. Which are not yeah, ninjas. Interesting, interesting they're, story. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not, not ninjas. They weren't hidden in the sense they were, you know, uh, more, upside down on a ceiling yeah, and scaling more, walls. <laughs> different sort of hidden. Uh, mostly because Christianity threatened the shogunate's authority, right? So, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. So how but, did this happen? Where, where did they come from? Well, you, you got your first Europeans, which don't show up for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Tom Cruise walks in there in the <laughs> middle of the... the sure, sure. Yeah, but actually, that's, you know, that's a misnomer. It's not actually Tom Cruise. But the first Europeans uh, arrived in 1543. There was three Portuguese traders. Right. Now, historically, any time Portuguese show up you at know your you're shores... In, you know you're in trouble. It's the beginning of the end mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, I, I know. So the Portuguese missionaries arrived in 1549, and in 1597, Hideyoshi ordered the crucifixion of 26 Japanese and Spanish Franciscans in Nagasaki. Mm. Now, would you say that is the worst uh, tragedy in Nagasaki? Uh, maybe. We'll see. There might be things to Sounds come. Sounds pretty bad, but uh, couldn't possibly get worse than that, could it? Okay. I, I wouldn't imagine. Hopefully not. Uh, thousands of Christians were persecuted over the following six decades. So uh, Christianity was banned. Several hundred thousand Japanese Christians were forced into hiding, and all Westerners except for the Protestant Dutch were expelled by 1638. So ushering in more than two centuries of Sakoku oh, closure huge... to the outside yeah, world. That's always that hear isolationist about that. period. Yeah, we always hear about that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when Tom Cruise comes in, right? <laughs> well, retreat from the world is really what we can call this. So within the isolated and severely prescribed world of Tokugawa, Japan, breaching even a trivial law could mean execution. Hopefully not being sawed in half, right? <laughs> well. Uh, maybe. Uh, rude behavior, defined as acting in an unexpected manner, was a capital offense. Yeah. What's this interesting about that is who's doing the expecting, right? <laughs> Somebody, I guess Tokugawa is the guy. If he doesn't expect something, yeah. off with his head. Um, seppuku him. Uh, <laughs> secret police reported on misdeeds. Oh, you never, yeah. you know, Portuguese you is know one watching. bad sign, but the secret police is another bad yeah. sign. As a result, people learn the importance of obedience of authority, collective responsibility, and quote-unquote doing the right mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. These are values still prominent in present now, day Now, I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is it. So, I mean, listen, you were in Japan, right? As far as the politeness there, how, how would you describe it? I'll tell you this. It is excruciating and overwhelming. Yeah. Now, yeah. I got to say it was also refreshing yeah i mean well, i mean yeah it has you know speaking from present moments. day new york city sure sure uh it's not quite like that mm-hmm. on the streets of new york city mm-hmm. right it's uh you it's survival of the fittest right right it is not like that in japan no um you go into a let's say a 7-eleven mm-hmm. and uh the amount of bowing and thanking <laughs> you and obsequiousness is quite striking uh also if you go to a sit-down restaurant there was one point where i wanted uh got a great meal um, various things, unidentifiable foods that I ate. Uh, it was delicious. And when we got up to leave, this was a you know, downstairs restaurant. We paid our bill, go up the stairs, open the door, go out onto the street. We hear somebody behind us. We turn around, who is it? What, what's going on? It's our server who followed us out <laughs> to bow and thank us on the street. This oh, happened more than gosh. once. Okay, now here's the thing. This politeness, would you say it's almost pathological? Mm-hmm. Does it almost feel like it's a politeness as though if they weren't polite, they would be 
executed. Yes. <laughs> like, do you like, have that sort oh. of feel? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you don't have to do this. And they're like, mm, yes, no, no, do. I really No, I insist. So is that all this is? Sort of that, mm. you know, sort of the, uh, at least the Western concept of Japanese politeness. It's this very overly polite sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Very tense politeness. And yeah, I want to like, kind of get into the psychology of this. Do you think? Do you think it originates from this this uh, era, this uh, Tokugawa Japan? I think that is a excellent theory. You know, I think it's hard to say, and especially uh, we could we could speak to other experts on this matter. But I think that the fact is nobody actually mm-hmm. really knows the answer to this mm-hmm. question. Because you were even saying like even like they won't even jaywalk. No, over there. That's right. In <laughs> like, fact, that's... yeah, I was in Tokyo at rush hour. This is like a crazy time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like five o'clock. I'm in a busy street corner. Mm-hmm. Traffic, no traffic. Cars go by, no cars left. There's mm-hmm. like hundreds of people. Standing on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. waiting mm-hmm. for the light to change so that they would not be jaywalking. And they did. Light would change. 200 people cross the street all yep. at once. Yeah. Well, it's nice to know that the spirit of Tokugawa lives on. He does, doesn't he? All right. Tell us a little bit more about sort of uh, now this change in sort of the the atmosphere of the population where merchants become more prominent, samurai are de-emphasized. Let's, let's talk a little bit okay, about that. Okay. So, yeah, there's a largely pleasure-oriented merchant culture thriving at this time, producing the popular kabuki drama. Oh, yeah. Classic. Right. Hours of entertainment. Kabuki, right. right? We, we've seen that. <laughs> Actually, fun fact, David Bowie was highly influenced by kabuki theater. Sure. Anything kind of uh, exotic and uh, involved a lot of excessive makeup will right up his alley. Weird stuff. Uh, (laughs) Sure. Uh, So it was during this period of relative inactivity that the samurai code of Bushido was formalized. So that's when they had a moment to write it down. Yeah, they're like, okay, now we're not doing anything. No one's uh, one's, uh, throwing litter on the ground Mm -hmm. or jaywalking or... Sure. Speaking too loudly. Let's let's write this stuff. Let's down. get this stuff recorded. So it was put into practice most famously in 1701 to 1703 by the 47 oh, Ronin. Oh, classic tale. Let's tell us about it. All right. So the 47 Ronin is a story of a group of samurai who are left leaderless, becoming Ronin after their daimyo or feudal lord Asano Naganori mm-hmm. was compelled to commit seppuku. Ugh. For assaulting a court official named Kira Yoshinaka. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These masters of the samurai, samurai waited two years to avenge the unfair, enforced seppuku mm-hmm. of their lord, killing the man responsible, then committing seppuku of course, himself. Of course! Sure. Even then, even in revenge. You can't, look. You have to Two years yourself. of waiting and planning yeah. this, right? Right? You wait two years. Yeah. You, you finally, the day comes, yeah. It you in, implement your, enact yeah. your plan with complete perfection. Yeah. yeah. You achieve your goal. Mm-hmm. You get the guy. You kick his butt. And then what do you do? Yeah. Celebrate. Go out to yeah. the bar. Maybe yeah. get some sake. I don't know. Do some shots. Yeah. No. Everybody kills that, themselves. Is that just a celebra- <laughs> celebratory sort of thing? Ce- celebratory kill yourself. It's, it's, it's a lot of camaraderie with the seppuku. Because it's sort of like, I mean, what was the game here? I mean, yeah. so we had the one, we got... We've got one seppuku by uh, uh, Naganori, plus the 47 Ronin. So right. that's 48, that's 48 to 1. Right. It's essentially. Yeah. But yes. this is deemed a success Whoa. of the 47 Ronin. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got Everybody's like, 48 we deaths versus one death. Cowabunga. But this is like the greatest uh, victory yeah. of, uh, of, uh, of the samurai. The 47 Ronin, huh? Yeah. Of yeah. course, uh, famously uh, popularized by the film 47 Ronin, mm-hmm. in which. Um, Super uh, cool dude, uh, mm. Keanu Reeves, is mm. a Japanese warrior. <laughs> right. There's a bomb on the bus. <laughs> right, sure. It was a, certainly a, a bogus adventure. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, now we're getting to the modern age. Okay, so let's let's kick it off with uh, 1853. Mm. Uh, U.S. Commodore Matthew Perry steamed into Edo Wanley. Chandler Bing. Oh yeah. Uh, let, let's let's <laughs> just, let's put it this way. Uh, Matthew Perry wasn't looking to make friends. Okay. okay. Because mm-hmm. he steams in with gunships, demands Japan open up to trade mm-hmm. at this time. Okay. Wow. All right. Uh, and this this kicks things off. Okay, now we're entering sort of the enlightened rule, also right. known as the Meiji Restoration. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a movement that arose uh, to revere the emperor and expel the barbarians. Essentially, the Perry. Western uh, influence. And, and 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 Matthew Perry is is a barbarian. He you know he doesn't really even know that Monica's got a crush on him. For no way like, for like how many seasons? So many seasons. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I want to talk about the real last samurai. Okay, let's do it. So okay. it's not Tom Cruise. It is not. At all, Tom Cruise. Mm. Oh, it's um, actually a Japanese guy. Weird. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> as it should be. Uh, this is a uh, guy, uh, Seigo Takamori, sure. uh, from mm-hmm. 1828 to 77. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now his guy is a massive dude, six feet tall, and by Japanese standards, he oh, that's is a tall. Goliath. Yeah, okay? right. Um, now, um, so the samurai system was essentially abolished once Meiji ascended to the throne. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, And by 1872... Uh, this system of professional warriors had given way to a Western model of military conscription. So uh, they'd done away with the samurai uh, warrior army, and now they're trying to do a more Western-style army, okay? Mm -hmm. But Sago was still a part of the Meiji government. And at one point, he had recommended invading Korea, which, I mean, mean, that's just like... Why not? Natural. I mean, how many times Mm -hmm. um, has that come up in conversation? Yeah, other countries... Uh, I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, that's a pretty uh, standard uh, suggestion. However, they actually rejected his idea. Oh, why? Wow. So they didn't even, <laughs> that's how much they hated the, why not? That's how much they hated the samurai, yeah. that they wouldn't even invade Korea, you know? So the fact that they didn't even want to do that, he got, he got pretty livid. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And he resigned in 1873. Now, other former samurai rallied around Sago and urged him to lead a rebellion. Okay? Okay. This resulted in the 1877 siege of Kumamoto Castle and lasted 54 days with 40,000 samurai and armed Whoa. peasants against the imperial army. Oh, this sounds so this badass. That is massive. Okay? Um... This is a lot. This is a lot bigger siege than your forty-seven Ronin. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, when the castle was incinerated, and defeat became inevitable, mm. Sago retreated, and guess what? He ate a bowl of ramen and called it a day. <laughs> Not quite. Did he uh, go for a long walk to uh, just vent? Don't think so. I think his uh, he uh, the bowels took a turn for the worse, and <laughs> okay. uh, he of course committed seppuku. Oh. I don't oh, think we've had a story yet <laughs> that didn't end in seppuku. Right, sure. That's the. It's like the happily ever after ending. Yeah. That we have in Do all the fairy tales just end, and then just they committed? And everyone's like, "Yay!" <laughs> right. Now, um, at this time in this era, okay. Now we have the last shogun. Mm-hmm. Okay, Yoshinobu mm-hmm. retires. Okay. All right. And the shogunate base at Edo became the new imperial base and was renamed Tokyo. You know, I kind of see this as a sad moment, the final uh, moment uh, where um, Anakin Skywalker gets the uh, the black costume with the mm. black cape and the flow. Oh, yeah. This you is... know, it turns into Darth Vader. Um, 
So now by the 1920s, Japan saw the West as having excessive individualism and liberalism. Uh, and they sort of, they didn't, that doesn't match their, their ideology culturally. Okay. Um, now, um, with that, uh, World War II comes in. And now, keep in mind, Max, Japan mm. didn't reject all Western nations. Uh, could probably name a couple mm. that uh, Interesting. famously they mm, were, uh, see, World they War were buddies II. with. Who uh, was Japan buddies I with? I believe it was... Papua old, New Guinea. Uh, I mean, perhaps it wasn't well documented, but uh, uh, more famously, old... Uh, Old Deutschland, oh, uh, sure, Germany, course, as well course. as Italy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in 1940, they entered into a pact. Right, nothing uh, bad with these come two of this, nations. could it? Sure, I mean, I'm sure happily ever after, yeah, they yeah. Uh, just uh, all seppuku uh, at the end. Seppuku and... together. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is that they were in this pact with Germany and Italy, and uh, Hitler uh, yeah. famously was openly <laughs> uh, talking of the Japanese as, uh, describes them as the Untermenschen, yes. our lesser beings, oh. and also the yellow peril. Ooh, that's and it's not sort of said, sort of like, um, and again, uh, Japan, you know, they're sort of like the, the, the new kids in school and just mm-hmm. uh, befriending the bullies on the playground. Yeah. And they were they were getting mixed into with a bad Power crowd. Grab. And it, it was sort of sad because, you know, the, you got Hitler uh, ca- calling them names. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just want to be friends. And, um, you know, my advice to Japan at that time would be, you know, choose friends wisely. You know, it's uh, it's got to be a mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be equal. We can't have name calling. You got to. Sure. Uh, again, this goes back to uh, it goes back to self-respect, self-esteem, mm-hmm. confidence, Japan. That's what, you know. Uh, that's what we want to see. We want to go back to the, the, the days of the samurai. Mm. They wouldn't put up with this name calling. No. This would be the most dishonorable. They would seppuku those other people oh, yeah, first sure, and seppuku themselves. possible, yeah. Everybody surely. would get their bucket. Surely. So um, so you got to sort of feel for for, uh, for Japan at this mm. time. Sort of being uh, uh, bullied, manipulated, yeah, bullied around, uh, yeah. called mm. names. Um, sure. So choose friends wisely. That's yeah. our lesson to nations and to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now... Okay, big things are happening. Okay, Max. Yeah, I want to tell you a little about a certain day, mm-hmm. cold day, Mother's Day, <laughs> Mother's Day, uh, even even colder. Um, in December seventh, nineteen forty one, Japan oh. uh, strikes Pearl Harbor. Okay. Oh, nobody saw that coming. Quite an infamous day. Or did they? Oh, good point. Now apparently. This was this caught the U.S. by surprise. However, some scholars believe Roosevelt uh, deliberately allowed the attack Whoa. to overcome isolationist sentiment and to bring the USA into war against what Germany. The now that's heck? a claim. That's quite a that co- uh, conspiratorial claim. This Bold is words. sort of the uh, uh, you know Pearl Harbor was inside job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of the uh, yeah. Your Jeff Boss like <laughs> sure. like uh, sure. uh, NSA did nine yeah. eleven ticket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Rose- sort of a Roosevelt did uh, 12, seven. 12, seven sort of sure. uh, concept here. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's sort of a, a, a dawn of the uh, the uh, crazed conspiracy theorists. Man, there the wasn't United even States. the moon landing. There wasn't the fake yeah. moon landing yeah. had been staged yet at yeah. that point. This is this is really kicking things off. That's yeah, early conspiracy um, theory. Now by mid nineteen forty five, Japan ignoring the Potsdam Declaration, uh, calling for an unconditional 
uh, Surrender, was preparing for a final Allied assault on its homeland. And they were I'm sure they were thinking this is a great idea. This is just going to go well. We got Su- this. Success is on the horizon. Let's do it. Throughout the nation. We're going to the heck out of these guys. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> things did not go their way. Uh, apparently on uh, August 7th, uh, the world's first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, killing 90,000 civilians. And on August 9th, another atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, resulting in 50,000 deaths. Now, this does not even take into Ooh. account uh, the uh, building-sized mutants that were uh, spawned from sure. this, uh, this uh, nuclear attack. Yeah. So when I was in Japan, I actually had the opportunity to visit Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I went to the A-bomb museum. Mm-hmm. It was traumatizing. It was crazy. It was dark. Mm. I mean, you go from display case to display case. They have objects from the uh, from the bombing. You got like deformed girders that twisted in the heat and oh things like gosh. that. It was bad, uh, but also really educational. Glad I did it. And uh, you even have this dome called the A bomb dome, which is one of the only partially standing buildings remaining from the moment that it was bombed. So Hiroshima is pretty much entirely rebuilt. It's actually a really nice town. Interesting, interesting. Now I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Now it's often said that um, the A-bomb, um, you know, it's controversial, but uh, some say that had they done a traditional land warfare with soldiers, that more people would have died mm-hmm. uh, rather than if they, having done the A-bomb, actually less, there was less casualties having decided to do that. Now, is that sort of an after-the-fact, trying-to-make-yourself-feel-better uh, sort of claim, or is there any legitimacy to that? I think it could be uh, just making excuses, really. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're a Truman or whatever, and you drop that, you pull that trigger, right, mm-hmm. you got to say to yourself, man, how am I going to sleep at night, right? Yeah, yeah. you got to so, think of something. you got to think of something. I don't know. At the other hand, I think it might hold a little bit of water, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a crazy argument. It's just, you know, morality gets a little sh- is the part that makes it difficult. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think when you have a new technology, it might be not ill advised to just toss it yeah. out there and not. They didn't know, know exa- the exact number of people they no, were going to kill. Of course not. And they didn't know about the radio. I don't care how many Oppenheimers and Einsteins you got. No. Uh, you don't know. For you sure. don't really know. So that, that makes it a much more complicated yeah. decision. Yeah. But, you know, the, uh, the modern period is what ensues after that right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this is a time period which which follows world war ii and it's an interesting time for a country that's never been conquered before right so the american occupation which ended in 1952 begins that so japan is just chugging along for mm-hmm. about 30 40 years right uh, japan was devastated by the great east japan earthquake and the tsunami of 2011 more than 15,000 people died right horrible now this this was no uh divine wind no no this is no kamikaze no this is uh, the opposite right um, so by 2013, the country is once again experiencing economic growth. So that's good. I think they're uh, they're gearing up for the 2020 uh, Tokyo Summer Olympics. So things to look forward to on the uh, the horizon. The, the land of the rising sun shall yeah. rise again. Land of the rising uh, Australians who are looking forward <laughs> to drinking all day. Sure. That's what happens sure. to those Australians. Sure. Now, uh, that, uh, that completes our uh, brief time of history. So let's take a break and, uh, and we'll come back. That sounds good. Hello, I'm Mia and I've actually been living in Japan for almost a year now. And the reason why I came to Hiroshima was because I feel like there's so much unique history here that's so different from other countries. And um, I feel like the way they publicized it, at least because I've, I've 
I've learned that there's other places that have been bombed and whatsoever, but mm -hmm. I feel like Hiroshima has been the one that's um, not I wouldn't say celebrated, but more of a commemoration of it. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to see it for myself and be a part of that as well. And I, I really love that uh, the message of peace. And I mean, I, I just signed a um, a petition uh, abolishing nuclear weapons. And I think I think that says so much about Hiroshima culture. And, um, I think that's why I'm here. <laughs> to just really be part of that and really see it for myself, yeah. Yeah, thanks. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I came here um, expect. I don't know what I was expecting either, but it's like a beautiful right. park now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I do like the, the message too. It seems like they uh, were like, well, if our message is going to be peace, mm -hmm. this is a good way to communicate that non-verbally right. too. Mm -hmm. I like how the signs are in various languages right. too. They've also, um, they've also kept it. Um, so, yeah. uh, or renovated, or made sure it preserved there. Can, can you actually tell us what we're standing in front of right now? Uh, the the memorial dome. Well, it's a building that's been heavily destroyed. Um, but I think that's the point of the building to see that um, that uh, at the site of the bomb, even though uh, virtually everything was destroyed, there are still some pieces that stood up and withstood uh, withstood yeah. a nuclear weapon war. But I know that AO, this bridge was a landmark in which um, was where they wanted to bomb it because uh, it was easier to see from the sky. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that this bridge is a, a landmark of where they wanted to drop the bomb. So yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Mia, for yeah. talking to us. No problem. <laughs> All right. This brings us to our travelogue segment where we interview a guest with four questions about their travels. So for today, we have a special guest, our co-pilot, Max. Konnichiwa. <laughs> who uh, had recently traveled to Japan. That's right. All right. So uh, welcome back to the United States. Thank you. It's a different time zone. <laughs> um, now, uh, first question, first of four, uh, what was your favorite city? Oh, well, that's a good question. I, I think it would have to be Kyoto. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't go everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So this is out of, uh, let's see, I went to Kyoto, I went to Hiroshima, I went to a town called Nara, I mm -hmm. went to Osaka briefly, and I went to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So it's a little, you know, toss-up, mm -hmm. but Kyoto is definitely the best mix of uh, religious um, sites that have a great deal of aesthetic beauty as well as cultural significance, and they are just so unique and original. Um, All right. Um, the, oh. Yeah. All right, now, what were the locals you met like? Yeah, so the language barrier for somebody who speaks zero Japanese, such as myself, was a challenge, but I did uh, encounter a number of people here and there who were very nice, of course. The Japanese are... Uh, pathologically nice. Pathologically, you might say, unfailingly <laughs> polite in all, in all uh, situations. Um, the, the one local I remember most distinctly was our friend uh, that we met named Kim. Mm. Uh, this guy became our friend very quickly. So uh, me and my buddy went down to this bar called Motokare. Uh, you can Google it in, uh, if you just put in Motokare bar in an area of Tokyo called Shinjuku. Yeah, it's a neighborhood there, which is a happening nightlife. Mm. So this bar is tiny. You would never notice it if you didn't uh, walk down this alley. And I remember me and my buddy, we were trying to find a place to go to hang out, have a drink or something. We didn't know what to do. So we're walking down this alley and uh, we, st we stop for a moment. We have a pause to talk about what we're going to do. 
and it happens to be outside Motokari. And we look over, and there's somebody inside the restaurant waving at us. We're like, no, this is this doesn't seem right. So the bartender, who turns out to be our friend Kim, comes out, just checking to make sure we're all right. Clearly, we're confused. We're lost. We don't know what we're doing. He was being a nice guy. We decided, you know what? Let's go into this bar. It's fine. We go in. It was tiny. It had maybe four or five bar stools in it. Cozy. Kim is the bartender. He. Uh, we learned. We we spent the next four or five hours there. We were there till super late. And Kim just totally treated us like royalty. And he was also very keeping it totally real. Really nice guy. Super cool. He was a Korean Japanese man, uh, young guy, who uh, told us his life story. Told us what to do. He he uh, clarified a lot of the tourist uh, info that you get, and maybe maybe told us which which of it was good, and which of it wasn't so good. And he basically said, "Facebook me next time you're in Japan. It's you know oh, like wow. we'd love to hang out." And this guy runs a serious shop like he knows what he's doing he's a great bartender so if you are ever in shinjuku that's the place to go is motokari and stop in and say hi to kim all right remember that folks write that one down Mm -hmm. shinjuku yep all right so next question what was the strangest thing you ate yeah so there are plenty of strange things to eat Uh, i'll have to answer this in two parts the first is the strangest thing i ate because i was the more timid of the Mm -hmm. two myself and my friend who went uh, I did eat a lot of, uh, I ate some green ice cream. Okay. Right. So sure. it's called matcha, which is their yeah. word for green tea. So it's green tea flavor. That's why it's green. It was pretty good. Yeah. I, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was green chocolate. So you can go to your local convenience store and mm-hmm. get green Kit Kats. Mm-hmm. Right. So they taste like green tea a little bit too. It's mm-hmm. very unique and strange. But I would really like to highlight something which I was too afraid to even do. And that mm-hmm. is in that Nishiki Street Market that there was a little booth that was selling, also on skewers, little tiny octopuses about the size of your thumb. Is it octopi? You're right. Sure. It is octopi. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> that, that, that need to know that comes in very rarely. Yes, but that was one moment where it did come in handy. Um, yes, I stand corrected. Um, anyway, I did not eat the octopus because I was freaked out by it. But uh, my buddy did. And uh, he said it was uh, chewy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it was delicious by any stretch of the imagination, but it was something you might want to check out as you go. They actually, uh, somehow, mm-hmm. it looks just like an octopus, right? Yeah. It is an, a tiny octopus on the end of a stick. There is a little egg. They somehow fit inside it, like a uh-huh. chicken egg, not an what? octopus egg. Do they yeah. lay eggs? How do they, I, how do they uh, reproduce? Well, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, it's best if you don't ask questions. <laughs> there was one other occasion where we were at a sushi restaurant and my buddy ate uh, raw horse meat. Wow. Mm-hmm. So... There's plenty. There's no limit to the amount of you, weird things. When you swallow an octopus, mm-hmm. do you think that with the tentacles, the suctions on the tentacles sort of stick to your throat? He and, uh, forced it down. onto there? Okay. He seemed to be okay with it. Later, he said that he kind of regretted it. Uh, so, uh, But I don't think it's because he got sick. I think it's because he was thinking back on the experience and it maybe wasn't that great so this isn't this is my advice for you adventurous people out there is to give it a shot because it's unique all right now what was the scariest moment yeah the scariest moment well there were some the touch and go moments where we had uh, translating problems in train stations lost in translation lost in translation indeed but uh this probably the scariest moment was uh was also one of the more beautiful moments we went to um the uh small town of nara um it's East, east of Osaka, right? South of Kyoto. So we took a train there, did a day trip, and uh, we went for this uh, Buddhist fire festival. Uh, and basically, there's a uh, basically a hilltop in Nara that is 
sectioned off as a preserve for wildlife, but also to preserve the cultural sites, the shrines that are up there. And there are several very large buildings that are uh, beautifully constructed and religious art too. So anyway, we went up there and it was like Times Square on New Year's Eve when we got to the top of this place. There's this one shrine and there's a huge crowd surrounding it. And uh, basically everyone waits up there for the sun to go down. And at the stroke of like eight or whatever it was, they initiate this fire ceremony, which is where up on the balcony of this uh, shrine, which you can't really see too well from down below, everybody's forced to stay on the ground below it. They um, light a series of, um, I don't know how to describe it. They're like little mini bonfires that are attached to the end of these long poles. They were probably using kerosene or something like that. And they light them up and they, they go, you know, and they uh, spin them. So the sparks sort of fly down to the crowd. And the, the, the saying goes, if you catch one of the sparks, it's good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Okay. And, of course, your hair will catch on fire, too, but that's good <laughs> luck, too, according sure. to you. So there was a couple moments where they, they actually run the pole down the balcony from one end to the other, sending showers, you know, scatter, uh, showering uh, sparks all across the audience. So there was one or two moments there where it was kind of close, close call. Mm-hmm. Sparks were coming down near me. Yeah. I don't know if I got any extra luck out of that, but I did right. almost catch on fire. My, mm-hmm. you know, clothes that almost is, caught on fire. That was a close call. Pretty scary, sort of like being in the uh, audience of a, a Gallagher show. But yeah. Instead of uh, watermelon and laughs, it's uh, I guess prayers and fire. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, that sounds like an amazing trip, and uh, hope you have many more travels such as that. Yeah. Glad to share. So, Max. Mm. I want to enter our next segment, the four F's mm-hmm. of cultural survival. That's film, fiction, food, and funk. Okay? Where we introduce our audience to some of the vital cultural aspects of this nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to start off with film, okay? Mm-hmm. We got the, uh, the golden age of Japanese cinema kicks off with Akira Kurosawa. That's right. Famously producing films, mm-hmm. Rashomon, The Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, which most notably was a direct influence on George Lucas and the Star Wars Mm -hmm. saga. Uh, This was popularized in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you're familiar with some of uh, Kurosawa's work, namely Rashomon. Yep. Uh, Thoughts? Great movies. Great movies. Okay. Uh, You know, like you can see, especially modern cinema, what's interesting is that when you start getting back to the the big movies of the 50s, you know, uh, Rashomon is one of those international iconic films. So like, you probably have seen um, modern films that take uh, the Rashomon style. notes from yep. Rashomon and sure. Kurosawa in general. Sure, like sure, you sure. just mentioned, George Lucas is just one of many who's yep. probably doing that. Oh, yeah. I think the artsier, the more indie films mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. are going to have even more of that sort mm-hmm. of influence in them. Sure, so sure. we're all watching Kurosawa sure. 24-7. You know what I'm saying? Now, do you feel that the Rashomon has influenced any uh, popular uh, Japanese culture, perhaps... Um, Maybe the Pokemon series, or maybe the Hello Kitty uh, pencil cases. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Kurosawa had an aborted movie that he tried called uh, Pokemon uh, Total War. Sure, sure. I don't know sure. if it worked out. Um, and then mm-hmm. he he tried to pitch another one called Pokemon Total Cuteness, sure, which sure. moved further sure, down sure. the production or, line. But or perhaps a, a Sailor Moon and the uh, seppuku of the uh, Ronin. Right, right. Sure, um, sure. The, uh, the Pikachu go- commits the, seppuku. Sure, or the the mm. Shogun uh, showdown. Of uh, yeah, Hello Kitty, right? Perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so again, uh, influence permeates uh, throughout a modern society. Can't avoid Kurosawa. Sure. Sure. Now, um, now, Max, uh, tell us a little bit about sort of the, uh, uh, the 
the fiction, the uh, the uh, great literary works of yeah. Japan. Well, I would love to. So fiction is a uh, passion of mine. So we got we got a bunch of literary things to think about here in Japan. Uh, Japan lays claim to the world's first novel with Murasaki, The Tale of Genji, which mm-hmm. we mentioned, right? Classic. That is a, a major text in world history. This detailed, lengthy tomb documents the intrigues and romances of early Japanese court life when they were, you know, smelling flowers, mm-hmm. fanning sure. themselves. Great. Good times. Good, Good times. T- I mean, what else can you uh, no, possibly want? No, no samurai warriors are going to be... Uh... Uh, dabbling with your affairs. invading through your uh, your beautiful courtyard of course and, uh, you could just focus on on arranging that one piece of fish <laughs> sure. just so right sure yeah that's you got a lot of time on your hands yep. really uh, so that's one thing to read and then we got this other uh, uh, text called the chrysanthemum and the sword no no this is a non-fiction work but worth mentioning right it's an influential study of japan by american anthropologist ruth benedict it was written to understand and predict the behavior of the japanese in world war ii the book was influential in shaping american ideas about japanese culture so yeah this is a non-fiction book came out in 1946 i've heard of this one too i haven't had the chance to read it but it is probably pretty telling i think we've had plenty of other things written about japan and japanese culture since the 40s which are interesting um but uh, this is the one that really stands out so uh, you know, we, I could go on and on about literature, but there's uh, there's more recent ones. Haruki Murakami is a contemporary author. I don't know if you've heard of him, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, The Caged Bird Chronicles. Uh, he is a guy who loves jazz music. Oh, yeah. Actually, Japan, jazz is big, in, uh, is big in Japan. It's big there. So, like, you know, this is one of those weird uh, happenings, weird turns of events in a, in a post-war Japan is this, this sort of... Uh, you might even say obsession with American culture, which has developed since mm-hmm. uh, we invaded them. A strange turn of events, right? But Haruki Murakami is a great uh, author as well. Excellent. So then we got our third F, which is food. Yep. Now. Yep. What do you got recommendations for, for the audience? An abundance. Okay. I can't Let's even boil talk it about down. It. Let's boil it down. All right. So there's too many. We could do a whole podcast just on this. But I think the one thing you should come away with from Japan is ramen. Oh. You got it. I mean, you're familiar with ramen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, you go to your store, you go down the uh, the uh, ethnic Excellent. foods aisle, sure. you're going to find your 25-cent so package of ramen. Yeah. It is nothing like <laughs> the ramen that you actually Well, find. yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's good because the ramen you find actually find there is sit-down restaurant, you go in, you order the stuff. It's, you know, soup is, do, is not doing it justice. That doesn't describe... You get any number of things in a bowl of ramen. It's a the broth is what matters, right? You get like green onions in there. We mm-hmm. get eggs. Mm-hmm. We get Ooh. like meats. You get pork. You sure. get beef. You get different things. You get veggie ramen. That's oh, all good. The, the, the forty-seven ramen. The forty-seven ramen. They all yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, I went to this place in Kyoto, and uh, it was. I could also talk about the market that I went to mm-hmm. went to mm-hmm. the Nishiki Market, mm-hmm. but um, this this uh, ramen place was about a block west of this funny uh, this funny weird bizarre uh, enthralling street market uh, in Kyoto, and the the, pl- the name of this restaurant is uh, Ipudo uh, Nishiki Koji. So Nishiki okay. is the so name. So if of the for audience uh, that's in Japan right now. Yep. Uh, make your make your way over there. If you're in Kyoto, head on down to the Ipudo Ramen, and it, it we had a line that was out in the mm-hmm. street when we got there. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, it was worth it because when we had that ramen, it was just life changing. Wow, that is uh, quite a statement. Mm-hmm. About ten bucks. Yeah, wow. for an amazing wow. huge bowl of ramen. Wow, uh, that is going to be uh, great for our listeners to uh, enjoy. Um, now, Max, I want to end on our fourth F. Mm-hmm. That is funk. Mm-hmm. The Music of a nation. 
Okay. And I want to close out uh, our episode today with uh, Fuko Bushi by uh, Soul Flower Manonoke Summit. Okay. A classic. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we are about to uh, land, our uh, wheels are about to touch ground. Mm -hmm. I want the audience to uh, just remember the great nation of Japan Mm -hmm. with this beautiful, beautiful song. Mm -hmm.